0: Just by way of a brief recap, in the first two sermons in this series, we looked first of all at heavenly worships from Hebrews 12, where we find out that by faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we come and worship here on the Lord's Day, we are really worshiping with the saints and the angels before the throne of God and before Jesus Christ in heaven, a wonderful spiritual reality that instills such meaning in our worship here on earth. In the second sermon, we looked at Leviticus chapter 10 and the tragic case of Nadab and Abihu, who came before the Lord in worship with, without the proper reverence for His holiness. They offered strange fire, strange sacrifices to the Lord. And we learn through, through that encounter with God's Word that God will be regarded as holy and when we come before Him in worship, we must only offer to Him in worship what He has explicitly commanded in Scripture. If we try to add to God's worship anything that He has not commanded, He's displeased, and we are not blessed in worship. Well, today we focus our attention on what certainly could be called the central element, uh, the, the main, the primary ingredient of Christian worship, and that is the preaching the declaration of the Word of God. Now, boys and girls, I'm sure that you have noticed that when we gather every Sunday here to worship as a congregation, most of our time, almost half of our time is spent listening to the minister preach from the Bible, and there's good reason for that because of all of the wonderful blessings that God has given us to enjoy and experience in worship, of all the means of grace that God gives us to grow and strengthen our faith, the preaching of the Word of God is number one. And We read that throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says that the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Later on in Romans, in chapter 10, he says that those who have faith have faith through the hearing of the Word of God, the Word of Christ. As important as preaching is to our worship, that really begs an important question. What makes a good sermon? What makes a good sermon? What counts as good preaching? And what I've discovered is that everyone seems to have an opinion on that question. What makes good preaching? Everyone seems to know or think they know what a good sermon is. But do we really? In the years that I've been filling the pulpit, about 10 years now, I've preached in various different churches, and a number of comments have stuck with me from people in the church. I heard one person say one time, that uh, share with me, that he had gone to the local megachurch. He was very curious about uh, how the other side worshipped, and he was surprised. He was rather pleased, and so I asked him, what was the sermon about? And remarkably, he couldn't tell me. He wasn't quite sure what the sermon was about, but he he, he remembered that it was wonderful, and that, uh, that the pastor had told wonderful stories that really connected well with him. Uh, An elderly man in another congregation shared with me that uh, he hadn't been attending worship in his own church, but he had been watching the Baptist minister on TV, that he was great, that he was being well-fed. And so I I asked him, how do you know you were being well-fed? Well, he, he read a lot of Bible verses, one after another. So obviously it was a biblical sermon. And then occasionally, but not often, thankfully, I've heard the complaint I'm not being fed. I'm not being fed. And I take that claim very seriously as a minister of the gospel. And so I ask, what's the problem? Is the gospel not being faithfully proclaimed? Is the treasure of Christ not being presented to you on Sundays? And usually the answer is, well, no, that's not quite it. I just don't feel that I'm being fed, though. And so I like to probe a little bit deeper. What are your expectations for a sermon? How would you know whether or not you are being fed? And almost invariably that person will say, I'm not sure. I haven't thought that far. I just prefer to listen to somebody else on Sunday." You see, for all of the opinions about preaching and sermons, there's actually quite a bit of confusion in the church, sometimes even Reformed churches, about what makes good preaching, what we should expect, what we should desire from a sermon. Is it just a matter of personal preference or taste? Or does God's Word give us criteria for good preaching that should shape our expectations and perhaps even change our opinions about preaching? Look with me at Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father, Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body that is the church." warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Paul writes and teaches that faithful preaching makes the Word of God fully known to believers so that we might discern God's will and all spiritual wisdom and walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. We're going to look briefly at each one of those uh, those points by looking at, first, the fact that faithful preaching gets the gospel right. Secondly, that it gets the call of the gospel right. Third, it applies the gospel right. And finally, and very importantly, it relies on the Holy Spirit. First of all, faithful preaching gets the gospel right. As Paul addresses the, the Christians in Colossae, He talks about this stewardship that he has been given from God as a minister of the gospel. He is, on behalf of the church, a steward, a caretaker of God's Word, of the whole counsel of God. And he talks about this as a very serious task. It's a task that he fulfills with great personal sacrifice and suffering. He says in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body that is the church. Paul is not suggesting here, of course, that Jesus' sufferings or afflictions were less than perfect or sufficient. But he's saying is that that all that remains as far as Jesus' sufferings are concerned, all that remains is for Him and all those who love Christ. To suffer alongside of him. And Paul, in his case, that suffering takes place as he fulfills his calling to proclaim as a minister of the gospel the Word of Christ. Despite the great opposition to him and to his ministry, He has been charged by God as a steward to make known, to declare, to proclaim to the world the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, Him, Christ, we proclaim. And so, faithful preaching, first and foremost, has as the core of its message the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it gets that gospel right. What is this gospel that Paul proclaims? He he summarizes this gospel in verses 15 and following. He proclaims Christ, who is the creator of the world, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him all things were created, heaven and earth, things visible and invisible, any authority that exists ultimately established by Christ, the Creator. He is also the Redeemer of a people. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Preeminent. Paul goes on, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself in heaven and earth, making peace by the blood of His cross. Christ the Redeemer, Christ the Savior, Christ the One who restores the broken relationship between God and His people. The summary of that gospel. Paul concludes here in verses 13 and 14. He, that is Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Christ the Creator, Christ the Redeemer, Christ the Sustainer, Christ the Ruler. The one who has made sinners right with God through the sacrifice of himself once for all to wash a people for himself, to present those people before God blameless forever and ever. That's the gospel core of biblical preaching. And so faithful preaching explains the meaning of God's Word correctly, especially as it focuses on the work of Christ, the promise of His work, the fulfillment of His work. Brothers and sisters, if this gospel message of Christ living for you, Christ obeying for you, Christ crucified for you, rising for you, coming again for you, if that's absent, it's not a good sermon. You see, sermons are not positive-thinking messages. They're not comedy acts. Sermons are not an opportunity for random Christian reflections on life. They are not to be political pep talks. A sermon should not be an extended guilt trip or a do better next time motivational speech for spiritual slackers. All of those kinds of messages are not sermons at all because they focus our faith On our works and our own faith and our own trust rather than on Christ and His perfect work on the cross. A faithful explanation and proclamation of the Word requires not only a right understanding of the biblical passage but also a discernment and an explanation of the gospel in that passage. If we don't have that, then the message of the gospel is lost. And you and I can only become distressed and burdened by impossible expectations. Faithful preaching, first and foremost, gets the message of Scripture right. It gets the gospel right. That's number one. But it also gets the call of the gospel right. Notice in verses 22 and verses 23 that Paul is rejoicing that those in the church of Colossae who were once separate from God have now been reconciled with God. They know the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. He says, you have been now reconciled. Christ has reconciled in His body of flesh by His death all of you who were once alienated from Him and hostile in mind in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. But then notice what he does. Paul makes a zealous appeal to these believers who have been reconciled with God through Jesus. And he says, continue in the faith. Don't stop now. He says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, that was proclaimed to you. You see, Paul's message of the gospel, of what Christ has accomplished, what he's done for them, also includes a call, a zealous appeal to them to, to repent, to embrace the gospel, to live holy lives in keeping with God's commandments. What that shows us is that good preaching is more than just true preaching. It's possible for a sermon to be true to be a good exposition of the biblical text and still not be delivered in a particularly winsome way, effective way that grips the congregation with the call of the gospel. It's one of the things that we have to continue to remind our seminarians to work on in their sermons. They love to spend all of their pages, all three points, focus on the, the work of Jesus Christ, and that's essential but there also needs to be the call to repent, to believe, to embrace, and to live according to the commands of Christ in light of the gospel. And so, as as J. Mark Beach says in one of a very helpful article, he says, a good sermon certainly brings Christ to the Christian. That's the message of the gospel. But a good sermon also brings the Christian uh, to Christ, calls them to Christ. A good sermon makes the text of Scripture a living event in which we are confronted with God's Word as it relates to our present experience, as it addresses our doubts and our fears and our failures and our sins and our needs and our joys, and then calls us to take refuge in Christ and live for Him. That's the character of Paul's intimate appeal to the Colossians. He knows them. And he calls them to embrace this message that they have believed. But third, a good sermon applies the gospel right. Going back to the beginning of this letter, Paul begins this letter by rejoicing, by saying how grateful he is that he has heard that the Colossians are putting their faith into action. They have gained something of a reputation For people whose living hope in Jesus Christ has become visible to everyone around them through their love for all the saints. He says in verses 4 and 5, We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And the reason they have this hope is because they believed what was preached to them. They believe the gospel of God's grace and truth. Paul rejoices that this preached word is bearing fruit in their lives and that fruit is increasing in their lives as they continue to embrace that word being preached to them by their faithful ministers. He mentioned their fellow bondservant, Epaphras, who's been faithfully ministering among them as a minister of Jesus Christ. That ministry is bearing fruit And that's another essential function of biblical preaching. It applies the Word of God to the lives of God's people so that through that the Spirit of God might bear much fruit in our lives. And so getting the gospel right has a lot to do with applying the text to all of you. Getting to the practical payoff of the theological truth in that passage, not just declaring the what, but also the now what. What should you do with these truths that have just been communicated to you? And I will admit to you, brothers and sisters, that as a minister, application has to be one of the most difficult aspects of sermon writing. There are some passages that just do not lend themselves as easily to application to the church in the 21st century, and yet we are beholden to what 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says. All Scripture is useful for training in righteousness. And so, good preaching applies the text thoughtfully in keeping with the spiritual battle in which we are all engaged as Christians. A good sermon requires the preacher to to keep in mind the different kinds of people who are sitting in the pews. It requires us not just to exegete Scripture, but to exegete all of you as well. It reaches all Christians, good preaching does, from the shallow to the hard-nosed, from the committed to the doubting, from the shame and the sin-scarred to the prideful and the self-righteous. Applying the text makes the sermon engaging and inviting. And it calls us, for example, to think about the specific ways that we've failed to follow God's commands, and it invites us to seek God's mercy and strength to begin to make small but real beginnings in obedience once again. And so good preaching calls us to search our hearts with the gospel and then think about the lived-out aspects of our Christian callings. It applies the gospel right But finally, and very importantly, good preaching relies on the Holy Spirit. Paul's prayer here in Colossians 1 for the believers there is that they would be filled with godly wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, that they would be filled with Spirit-created wisdom in order to live in a way worthy of Christ. He says in verse nine, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul prays that, that the, the Colossians might know the power of God's Spirit. They might know His glorious might that they might endure in all patience and joy. And how would they come to know and experience those blessings? Through the preaching of the gospel, which is the Spirit's primary tool for creating and strengthening faith. There's actual power in the faithful preaching of God's Word. And what that means for us, brothers and sisters, is that good preaching is not ultimately about the preacher. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is the Lord and the giver of new spiritual life, and it's the Holy Spirit who is the giver of effective and powerful preaching. It's the Holy Spirit who makes our defective and imperfect sermons effective and powerful in your lives. It's the Holy Spirit who is the source of these blessings that come to you in the event of preaching, and that's good news for all of us because ministers are fallible. We're weak. We're sometimes unattractive. We are ignoble vessels. We are cracked pots, ill-suited, we feel sometimes for the task of containing and disseminating these glorious words of life to you. And yet the promise of scripture is that the holy spirit uses foolish men. He uses a gospel that is so offensive in our world. And he uses these to save us and to change us and to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And what that means practically is that whether or not we are fond of the preacher is entirely irrelevant because if the preacher speaks biblical truth in a way that we can understand and apply to our lives, then we can be confident, we can be sure that the Spirit of God is speaking through Him, and you are truly being nourished by the words of life. You see, we all need to humble ourselves before God because we don't deserve good preaching. And yet, God has seen to it, because He cares for us, He has seen to it that we are adequately supplied with teachers and preachers to instruct us and to call us and to comfort us with His gospel until Christ returns. And so we need to thank God that He accompanies His preaching with the powerful assistance of the Holy Spirit. And with that, very briefly, I want to conclude with just a few concluding remarks, requests from one of your ministers, me. First, please be patient with your ministers. Be patient with your ministers. We struggle, we fail in many ways. We are often very aware of our shortcomings. We willingly admit as much. Writing sermons is a long A wonderful, but nevertheless difficult task. Some passages, as I said before, do not lend themselves to easy application as, as much as others do. But don't give up on us. Don't abandon us. Be patient. Don't be quick to conclude that you're not being fed. I love the story of the man who once came up to his minister after the service, and he said, Pastor, I've been a member here for 20 years, and and I don't think I'm being fed, but you're preaching. I can't remember a single sermon that you preached. And the minister said, well, how long have you been married? Oh, about 30, for 30 years, he says. He said, how long have you been enjoying the, the dinners that your wife cooks for you every evening? Well, about 30 years. He said, do you remember what you had last Wednesday for dinner? He thought for a moment, but he couldn't remember exactly what she had made for him. And then the minister asked, are you starving or are you well fed? Are you alive? And, of course, he had to admit that he was. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, if you are sitting here this morning and you are alive spiritually, then you have been fed by the preaching of the Word of God. You have been blessed. You have been filled. The Holy Spirit is working mightily as He promises through the official proclamation of the gospel in this church. You're being fed, and you are healthy as a result. And so please be patient with us and with the gospel ministry. Secondly, please support Your ministers support the gospel ministry. Reverend Ehmeyer and I are tremendously blessed in this congregation. You support us wonderfully in manifold ways. We are so frequently encouraged by your cards and your words of support and kindness. We feel tremendously blessed to serve this congregation. And yet I will say there is one way in particular that you can demonstrate your support for what we do for our labor, for our stewardship here, there is one primary thing that you can do to demonstrate your support of gospel ministry, and that is to come for worship. That's to come for worship. I will be candid. There is nothing quite so disheartening after spending an entire week working hard, dealing with God's Word, preparing sermons for your edification to feed you because we love you and Christ loves you. There's nothing so disheartening to come into the sanctuary and find that very few people have desired to come and receive that word. And so come to worship as God calls you to through the rule and the call of His elders. Come to worship. That is the best way to show that you support the gospel ministry. But secondly, take preaching seriously. It's so easy for us to sit in the pew passively and not really be engaged in what is being said and what is is being proclaimed from the pulpit. I encourage you to be an active listener during the sermon. Maybe for some of you that will mean taking notes that you can run over later in the week. Maybe that will mean making a, a conscious decision to go back for coffee and cookies in the fellowship hall and actually talk about the sermon and its application to your life. Maybe moms and dads, that will mean preparing a few questions during each sermon that you can ask your children around the dinner table that afternoon. But find ways that you can be an active listener during the preaching. And then finally, pray for your ministers and for the gospel ministry around the world. We know you do this. We want to encourage you to continue to do that. Pray that the preaching ministry might be powerful and effective. Pray that it might increase the unity and the fellowship in this church. Pray that the the gospel might be boldly and effectively proclaimed, not just here, but throughout the world in all faithful pulpits. Pray that no enemy, no temptation might get in the way of the clear preaching of Christ Jesus and that we would all submit to God's will for His church. We know that when we do these things, the promise of this passage will come true, that the Word of Christ will be made fully known to us through faithful preaching so that we might fully discern God's will in all spiritual wisdom and walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we, we admit that we do not deserve good preaching, and yet you have provided your church around the world with those who are well trained and equipped to disseminate and to declare, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would have a realistic and accurate understanding of what a sermon ought to be. It is not just a time for sharing random Christian thoughts. It's not a time for spiritual entertainment. Or political discussions. It is a time to sit under the official proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a a time to come and to receive the call, the zealous appeal to respond in faith and obedience to the gospel. It's a time to have that word applied specifically to our own lives and our own joys and trials. It's a time for us to come and to be operated upon By the Holy Spirit, who promises to accompany the faithful preaching of His Word with growth in our faith, change in our minds and our desires. And so, Lord, if we are here this morning desiring to be a better and more faithful father and husband, let us not neglect the preaching of the Word. If we are here desiring to be a more submissive and godly wife or woman, let us not neglect the preaching of the Word. If we desire to be a more obedient son or daughter, let us not neglect the preaching of the Word because this is where the power is. There is no better place for us to receive that operation of Your Holy Spirit than through the preaching, the official preaching of the gospel. Lord, increase our hunger and our thirst these blessings. May we not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing as the day of Christ returns. But let us come that we might be fed and filled and equipped for this life that we live of faith, even a life of suffering at times. Lord, continue to bless, continue to grow the gospel ministry of this congregation. Bless your people as they come to receive it, that we might grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge and unity and peace with one another. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For our final song, let's turn together in the Trinity Psalter hymnal to number 138B. 138B, with grateful heart, my thanks i bring we'll stand together sing those four stanzas 138b saints of God, receive now the parting blessing of our faithful God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.